God has a great plan and a great purpose. A great plan and a great purpose that involves you and me and ultimately all people, all humanity. As we look in the world in which we live, as we look in our own lives, as we look at the what God has done in terms of working with us and with His church and with His people through the pages of Scripture as we have the record, as we look at the things that lie ahead of us as we read in, in the pages of the Bible, we recognize that there are a lot of trials, a lot of tests, a lot of difficulties. Paul, The Apostle Paul wrote to one of the churches uh, where he had visited and he told them that it was through much tribulation that we must enter the kingdom of God through much pressure, much difficulty. We have gone through things in our lifetime. We've gone through things that we have experienced. Some of it may be in our own personal lives, personal problems, difficulties in our families. We've gone through problems and difficulties and upsets in the church. And frankly, brethren, as you look at the pages of Scripture, you find that what most of us have gone through is frankly very minor and very minimal by comparison to what many of God's people have faced down through the centuries. The Apostle John, writing in the book of Revelation, uh, saw a vision that is recorded in which he saw various seals opened up. And when he saw the fifth seal opened, he saw a vision that represented the saints of God who had given their lives for the Word of God. He saw the martyrs down through time. And he was told that there were yet ahead those who would be martyred for the truth. Many of God's people down through time, you read in Hebrews 11, of individuals who wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, who lived in caves, uh, individuals of whom, were to, uh, uh, of whom were told that the world was not worthy of these individuals. We read of men and women of God who went through a variety of circumstances. And we see these things recorded. Why did God allow things like that to happen to his people? You go through and you read the story of, of the ups and the downs, the disappointments, the discouragements, sometimes the, the tragic, terrible things that individuals who were seeking to live their lives in accordance with the word of God suffered. We're all familiar with various stories. You could think of, of various ones. What about the story of Joseph? A young man, a teenager who sought God and who sought to obey God and, and to live by the ways of God, and yet his whole life was turned upside down. At the age of 17, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, went down into Egypt, and it initially appeared that God was going to uh, somehow turn this curse into a blessing because Joseph was given uh, favor in the sight of his master. And within a period of time, he rose to prominence and was managing uh, Potiphar's household. You remember the story. Of course, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph. Here was Joseph, a young man in his late teens, faced with a very uh, tempting situation, and yet he had the character to do what he was supposed to do. And you know what the consequences were? All of a sudden, Joseph's whole life was turned upside down because now he was charged with attempted rape and was thrown in an Egyptian prison. Not because he had done what was wrong, but because he tried to do what was right. 
You realize for 13 years of Joseph's life, his young adulthood from the time of age 17 till the time of age 30, Joseph found things going from bad to worse. And every time things would begin to work out and it would seem that God was was solving his problem, then things didn't work out that way. Joseph wound up in prison and and uh, uh, Pharaoh's two of Pharaoh's officers, his baker and his, his butler, were thrown in jail. And Joseph wound up and interpreted a dream for them. And, and one who was going to be released promised Joseph, he said, when I get out, I'll tell Pharaoh. But you know, he forgot. And years went by. The point is, you can go through, you can read about Joseph, you can read about Job, you can read about any number of men and women through the pages of Scripture, and you find that all sorts of circumstances occurred in their lives. And many of those circumstances, you and I read the story, and it seems simple because in a matter of minutes, we can read an account that took years to transpire. And it seems simple because we know the way it came out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with being thrown into a fiery furnace. Well, that seems simple because we know God worked a miraculous uh, deliverance and brought them out. But you know, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not know exactly what God was going to do. If you read the account carefully, they told the king. They said, O king... We want you to know that the God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship this, this idol that you've set up. You see, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had not read the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel hadn't been written. They went through their problems and their trials and the difficulties they faced in their life. They went through those trials exactly the way you and I go through ours. They went through those trials one day at a time. They lived their lives just as you and I live ours. We experience the things that we go through. And we sometimes find ourselves in the middle of events that don't make sense to us. At the moment we're going through it. Job's life, when things turned upside down for him, didn't make sense to him. He couldn't understand why these things were happening. And you know, humanly, we like to pigeonhole things. We like for life to make sense. And when it doesn't, we're, we're perplexed. In the overall sense, life does make sense because... God is preparing us. He has a great plan and a great purpose. <clears throat> In the book of Daniel, chapter 2, where Daniel describes a vision and interprets a vision that King Nebuchadnezzar had seen, Daniel described this, uh, this image and the head of gold and the chest of silver and the thighs of brass and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and miry clay. And he described how a great stone came down from heaven, a stone cut without hands, a stone of supernatural origin, and smashed the image. And we're told that those final toes symbolized ten kings. And Daniel said that in the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be removed. 
the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom, a real kingdom. And he is preparing a people to inherit that kingdom. He is preparing a people to rule and reign with Jesus Christ as kings and priests. And the events that we go through, that you go through, that I go through, the events that happen are a part of the plan and the purpose of God to prepare a people to inherit a kingdom. You see, it is vital that we build, that we develop the heart of a king. Because God has a plan and a purpose. That plan and purpose involves the building of a family. The family of God. A family that is to inherit all things as heirs. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. And yet we have to go through and be prepared even to suffer for righteousness sake. In order that we might prepare for what God has in store for us. God worked through individuals of whom we read in Scripture. There is a man in the Bible that we're told was a man after God's own heart. A man that certainly had the heart of a king. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 37... We normally focus on the beginning portion of this chapter, uh, generally on the last great day, and we look at the general resurrection that is described here. But let's go down to verse 15, and let's pick up the second part of this particular uh, this vision. There are two visions that are recorded in Ezekiel 37. Beginning in verse 15, we read, The word of the Lord came again unto me. So Ezekiel is now recording another vision, one that is distinct from the opening uh, verses of this chapter. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, you, son of man, take you one stick, and write upon it for Judah and the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick, and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions. And join them one to another in one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. And when the children of your people shall speak unto you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by this? Say unto them, Thus says the eternal God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and the tri- and will put with them even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. Now, as the Scripture goes on, well, let's understand the background of Ezekiel's comment here in this vision that Ezekiel had. Over 120 years prior to the time Ezekiel wrote this book, the northern ten tribes of Israel had been taken into captivity. They had been taken by the Assyrians. It's been settled in the cities of the Medes. Uh, been settled up by the river Gozan uh, in that area between the Black and the Caspian Sea. Over 120 years later, Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian kingdom invaded Judah and began the process of taking 
captive in three successive waves the people of Judah. The third uh, attack resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the final captivity. Ezekiel had been taken captive at an earlier time. He knew, and the people of his day knew, that there was a clear distinction between the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And certainly in Ezekiel's day, they were not one nation. They were two totally independent, separate nations for about 200 years prior to the time when Judah, when Israel was taken into captivity and then about hundred over 100 years went by where Judah was an independent kingdom after Israel was in captivity. Now Ezekiel is looking forward to a time in the future when the house of Israel and the house of Judah will be rejoined. He was told to take two sticks and to join them together representing the reunification of a nation. And God told him, he said, now Ezekiel, when you do this, people are going to wonder what it means. And this is what you say to them. Verse 21, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, from among the nations where they be, where they're gone. And I'll gather them on every side and will bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation. In the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Now, this just, it's good to pause and to notice this, because you see any who were, to, who claim that Israel and Judah are the same have got to address this portion of Scripture. It is very clear that Israel and Judah will be reunified as one nation in the future. It is equally clear that they are not one nation now because they're going to be gathered out and brought back. And when that happens, there will be one nation and one king. Notice verse 23. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I'll save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they've sinned, and I'll cleanse them. And they'll be my people, and I'll be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. And they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to do them. Now, has this occurred? Has King David been ruling over there? You know, for those who want to take some of these verses and try to apply them uh, to the regathering of the Jews to the modern day land that is called Israel. Well, they're still defiling themselves with detestable things. King David is not reigning as king. They're not walking in God's judgments and observing his statutes. Those things have not happened. And yet that's what's going to happen when Israel and Judah are reunified as one nation in the future. David will be king over them. They will have one shepherd. And that's going to be King David. They'll dwell, verse 25, in the land that I gave unto Jacob my servant. 
wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Well, the only way David can be their prince forever is David will have been resurrected immortal. David will have been resurrected with eternal life and will reign over the over Israel, over a reunified Israel and Judah, over a reunified 12-tribe nation. I'll make my a covenant of peace with them. It'll be an everlasting covenant. It's talking about the new covenant that Jesus Christ is going to make with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah in those days, described in Ezekiel and Jeremiah 31 and other places. Now the point is that from God's standpoint, King David is to be king over what will be the greatest nation of the world that is to come. A world not in subjection to angels, but a world that will be ruled by Jesus Christ and by born-again sons of God. Jesus Christ is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, the Bible tells us quite a bit about King David's life. When you look at the books of First and Second Samuel, you find that <coughs> the opening chapters of First Samuel tell you the story of Samuel and Saul. And then we pick up the life of King David introduced to us uh, in about First uh, Samuel 16. We go all the way through the entire rest of the book of First Samuel and all the way through all of the book of Second Samuel telling us about King David. The books of First and Second Kings tell the story of all the other kings of Israel and Judah together. First Chronicles opens with some introductory chapters and then very quickly moves to the life of King David and the overwhelming majority of the entire book of First Chronicles deals with the story of David Second Chronicles takes all the other kings of Judah and covers them. There is a greatly disproportionate amount of space in Scripture devoted to the life of King David. Not only that, but when we look at the Psalms, we find that a great number of those were told in the title were written by King David. You realize that a number of the Psalms not only tell us that David is the author but they tell us the circumstance and the situation in David's life that produced that psalm. You see, we go through in First and Second Samuel many examples and illustrations of the life that King David lived, of the experiences that he went through, of the trials and the difficulties and the adversities that he faced. Now, we, know we not only read the story of what King David went through, but you and I have the opportunity to actually look into his heart and mind and understand what conclusions he was drawing from the circumstances that he faced. We know that from God's standpoint, King David had the heart of a king. He is going to be used in one of the highest offices in the government of God. How did God prepare David for that job? Because if we understand 
what is involved in the lessons that are to be learned and the way of responding to God that he is pleased with, then we are on our way that we might also be used to fulfill our calling. King David fulfilled the calling and the purpose for which God raised him up. And he's going to be raised up from his grave and he's going to reign over all of Israel. Well, as we look in the scriptures, <coughs> we find that God prepared and trained David. I think it's interesting that David came from the background of shepherd. If you look at in the Old Testament, we find that the two individuals God used most in terms of establishing his government were Moses and David. God used Moses. Interestingly, he used both of those men to reign over Israel for or to rule the people of God for a 40-year period. He used Moses as his instrument to actually create the nation, bringing slaves out of Egypt to create and form this nation, to set it up, to, to establish all the patterns, get them things organized, and to lead them from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, how did he prepare Moses for a tremendous responsibility? You say, well, you know, Moses, he was trained in Egypt. He had, four, he had years of experience as a prince of Egypt. In fact, Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7 that Moses was a man mighty in words and deeds among the Egyptians. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, writes of the exploits of General Moses, the leader of the Egyptian army and the conquests and various things that he did. Is that the way God prepared Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt? I'm sure there are things that Moses learned. But you know, Moses didn't lead Israel out of Egypt at 40 years of age. You and I might have looked at it and said, well, Moses was at the prime of his life. He was healthy. He was vigorous. He had had all of this experience as an administrator. Moses was ready to lead Israel. No. No, Moses was forced to flee Egypt at age 40. And he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd, tending sheep. After 40 years as a shepherd, God said to Moses, who's now 80 years of age, Moses, I think you're about ready for the job that I've got for you. You've had 40 years to unlearn what you learned in Egypt. You've had 40 years to practice on the sheep and to understand a little bit about how I want you to direct and to lead my people. You know, Moses' life turned upside down. He went from a prince, he went from an individual of power and authority to being an exile. And life went by. Because Moses tried to do what was right. He tried to stand up for, for what was right. God allowed him to go through this experience. Moses went through that. God dealt with him in a remarkable way. Moses was trained these 40 years as a shepherd and at that point, he was prepared to come back into Egypt and to shepherd the people of God. Now, King David was prepared to be a king, to unify the nation. He reigned over Israel 40 years and qualified to reign over all of Israel forever. Moses, uh, David also got his training as a shepherd. 
He was taken from among the sheepfolds. He had received training, learning to shepherd the sheep so that he might be given the responsibility of shepherding the people of God. We find in the New Testament that Jesus Christ refers to himself as the good shepherd. So we find that this example, this illustration of being a shepherd is used throughout the pages of Scripture. Now David worked as a shepherd. He was trained as a shepherd. And there were things in his experience as a shepherd and in preparation to his kingship that helped him to learn certain lessons, to develop certain aspects of character that were very vital and very important to God. I want to direct our attention in the much of the remainder of the sermon to some experiences that David had and the lessons that he learned and the way he handled and dealt with those things. Because, you know, brethren, we've been through some difficult times. Been through some difficult times of recent date. We've experienced a lot of things even over the last few years and even over the last few weeks. How has this affected you? Well, brethren, I'm here to tell you something. If you think we've had trouble, if you think we've gone through great difficulty, let me tell you, you haven't seen anything yet. The events that are going to happen between now and the return of Jesus Christ are going to pale into insignificance. The trials and the tests and the pressures and the adversities that you and I have faced recent weeks, recent months, recent years, or even in our lifetime. They simply will. There's coming a time of trial, a time of testing, a time of pressure, that is so great it will pale into insignificance anything that has ever occurred. As we go through and as we look at some of these things, there are trials and tests that have happened and there are trials and tests that will come. And we must understand not only how to survive these trials and tests, but how we might also handle them in a way that is pleasing to God in a way that makes a part of our character and our nature the same lessons that David made a part of his character and his nature. David was faced with many things and there were a lot of lessons that he had to learn. Let's go back to Psalm 18. Let's notice something as we note to begin with the setting of Psalm 18. Psalm 18 In the title, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So here is what David had to say. David has gone through this period of of extensive trial and testing. Now he has finally been delivered gone through all these ups and downs and through all the discouragements, the frustrations, the, the, the joys and the, the pressures. And notice what David's thinking. He says, I will love you, 
O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. You think David didn't have to contend with all the feelings that you and I go through? David had to deal with fears. He had to deal with sorrow. The sorrows of the grave compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried unto, the, unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple. My cry came before him even in his ears. Now, you know, this is when David was delivered. You realize, brethren, that David struggled with the problems that he faced Prior to his kingship, he became king at age 30 for a period of at least about 10 years. David's whole life, during his whole decade of the 20s, of his 20s, David's whole life was upside down. He was a fugitive most of that time. He was hiding in fear of his life. It wasn't just something that went on for a few days or a few weeks or a few months. It went on for years. Now, you see, David hadn't read the book of 1 Samuel. He didn't know the specifics of how all these events played out. He knew that God had made a promise to him. But then he saw year after year go by, and he couldn't see the fulfillment of that promise. God put David through circumstances, and David built faith and courage and loyalty. And those are vital ingredients to the heart of a king. And you know, that's what, David, that's what God was looking for more than anything else. You know, I think it's interesting, sort of skip ahead a little bit, you're familiar with the story back in 2 Samuel, one of the great tragedies of David's life involved uh, the rebellion of his son Absalom. You know, it's interesting if you go back and you read the story as to the events that led up to it and, and how Absalom became bitter because he resented the way that David had handled certain matters. But it's interesting how Absalom brought about the things that he did. We're told that Absalom came there to Jerusalem and there were people lined up coming to seek the king's justice. Absalom had a knack for tapping in on the frustrations of the people. He would come up to folks and he would introduce himself or ask them who they were, where they were from ask them about their case, and then he would begin to commiserate, and he'd say, you know, it's really too bad the king isn't better organized. You know, I wish he had deputies to hear you. You've got such a good case. I've tried to get him to let me help him, but, but he won't do it. You, you're having to wait, and boy, I, I wish, oh, I wish I were in a position to help you because you're, you're right. But you know, hey, there's nobody around to listen. It's interesting as you go through that because as you read the story, Absalom tapped in on the frustration of the people. I guess you could say that if David had been a perfect administrator, there wouldn't have been any frustration to tap in on. I don't know. We're not given all the background and the details of, of why these things were there, but, but they were there. I have to conclude from that that... Regardless of 
whether David was at that point in his life uh, the best administrator uh, that was capable of ruling over Israel. That was not the primary thing God was looking for. The primary thing God was looking for was the heart of a king. David qualified to be king over all of Israel in the world tomorrow because of a heart and a mind and an attitude. And you can go through the story and you find that David made mistakes as king of Israel. But God prepared him in a remarkable way. And David, through his experience as a shepherd, through his experience prior to becoming king, developed the faith, the courage, the loyalty with which God was pleased and which represented the heart of a king. At the end of this period of life, just about the time he was 30 years of age, God had finally delivered David. And David looked back and he talked about how in my distress I called on God. And he heard me. <clears throat> he talks about the earth shaking and trembling, verse 7. He talks about the great God who bowed the heavens in verse 9 and came down. He rode upon a cherub. He did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made the darkness his secret place. He talks about the God that thundered in the heaven. The highest gave his voice. How God, in verse uh, in verse 17, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from them which hated me, which they were too strong for me. Talks about in verse 19, He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. Talks about in verse 21, I have kept the ways of the Lord, have not wickedly departed from my God. All His judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. Going on in verse 25, he says, With the merciful you shall show yourself merciful. With an upright man you shall show yourself upright. With the pure you shall show yourself pure. With the froward you shall show yourself froward. You will save the afflicted people, but you will bring down the high looks. You see, David went through experiences and through his tragedy and through his difficulty and through the circumstances in which he found himself, he came to value the attitudes that God values. And David learned to value mercy. He learned to value the things that God values. And he developed those things as a part of his character. And now he was on the threshold of becoming Well, he goes through, and David talks about the difficulties. He says in verse 36, You've enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. He goes on, and coming on in verse 43, You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. David knew that uh, in verse 48, He has delivered me from my enemies. You lift me up above those that rise up against me. You've delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto you, O eternal, among the nations, and will sing praises to your name. Great deliverance gives he to his king. You see, David was now at a point 
the point of his coronation, the point where he was he was delivered from his enemies. And he celebrates that deliverance in this Psalm 18. He reflects back over his life and the lessons that God taught him and the things that were developed in his character and in his nature. God is preparing us to reign as kings and priests. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 16. And we pick up the story of King David. You know, in 1 Samuel, we not only have the story of David, of course, we have also the story of Saul. And in the story of Saul, we have a contrast with the story of David. Because just as David possessed the qualities that qualified him to be king forever, Saul disqualified himself as king. Saul was an individual whose life took a tragic turn. Saul turned away from God and from God's deliverance. There's quite a contrast between David and Saul as you go through the story. 1 Samuel 16 introduces us. Samuel came uh, to the house. He was instructed by God to go to Bethlehem and to go to the house of Jesse. Now, you know, God gave him those specific instructions. He could have also told Samuel who was to be anointed king. But he merely told Samuel, he said, I want you to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, and I'll show you which one. Samuel came and he told Jesse, bring your sons. When he saw, when Samuel saw the first son, we're told that he was an impressive looking man. And when Samuel saw him, his first thought was, surely this is the man God has chosen. And God told Samuel, no. He said, Samuel, you look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. And each of the first seven sons of Jesse were brought before Samuel. And God told him in each of these cases, no, not him. Finally, they came to the end of all the the first seven sons or these seven sons, and God had told Samuel in each case, no, not him. So finally, Samuel asked Jesse, he said, well, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, well, we got one. I didn't even bother to bring him in. He's out there with sheep. Samuel said, we're not going to sit down and eat until he gets here. And so David came in. And God inspired Samuel to anoint David as king. In verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. You see, God looked on the heart. And David was developing the faith and the courage and the loyalty that God continued to work with and to develop more deeply even those traits in his character. But he was already headed that way. Well, the story goes on, and in 1 Samuel 17, we pick up the story of Israel and the Philistines being at war. And they were encamped in an area, the armies were on either side uh, of a valley, and the Philistines had a champion, Goliath of Gath. And Goliath was a giant. And every day for 40 days, he came out and he challenged the armies of Israel. 
Well, as the story is told in 1 Samuel 17, we find that Jesse sent, sent David, his youngest son, down to the area where the battle was to bring provisions to his brothers. We're not told exactly how old David was, but evidently he was too young for the army. Uh, Twenty was the age of conscription in Israel, and uh, David was not in the army. <coughs> probably, <coughs> probably at this time, an older teenager, maybe 17, 18 years of age. David came down, and he saw these events going on, and he began to ask some questions. And when Goliath came out, David's response was, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should challenge the armies of the living God? And people say, Shh, he'll hear you, you know, be quiet. Man, this guy, you know, you see how big he is? Well, he can eat you for lunch. You see, everybody else was focused on how big Goliath was. David was focused on how big God was. They were overwhelmed. They were frightened. Goliath would come out and taunt them and the shame and the disgrace and the fear. All of these feelings overwhelmed the whole army. No one knew what to do. No one was prepared to, to do anything. David said, who is this fellow? Who does this guy think he is? And again, you remember the story. David took his slingshot, picked up five smooth stones, and he went out to slay Goliath. He said to Goliath, he said, you come to me. You come challenging the armies of the living God. I come to you. you you're coming with a sword and a spear. I'm coming in the name of the God of Israel. Whom you have defied. David saw the reality of God. And David was far more deeply impressed with God than he was with Goliath. Now, David was at a peak, at a pinnacle after this. David slew Goliath and the armies of Israel were so inspired. They chased after the Philistines. The Philistines broke and ran. And we find that David was the hero. You know, for a matter of time, for a matter of weeks, David was the most popular man in Israel. We're told in 1 Samuel 18, 5, David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. He behaved himself wisely. Saul set him over the men of war. He was accepted in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. He was young, but he had wisdom. He handled himself properly. He exhibited the faith and the courage and the loyalty that are the heart of a king. Well, we find that within a short time, uh, David was the popular hero. And it's described in, uh, in chapter 18, verse 6, as to how as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, the women came out dancing and singing. And one of the refrains of the song was, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. And we're told in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 18, Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. He was jealous. He was envious. And he began to brood about that. 
And he said, what can he have more but the kingdom? He's more popular than me. Verse 9, Saul I David from that day and forward. Saul then began to be troubled by an evil spirit because you see the more negative that Saul became, the more embittered that he became. Saul began to accuse and to find fault with David. And David was simply trying to do what was right. We find verse 11, Saul cast a javelin, said, I'll smite David even to the wall. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and departed from Saul. You see, fear now became the dominant controlling factor in Saul's life. Faith was the controlling factor in David's life. And so there's quite a contrast between the effects that fear played in Saul and faith played in David. We, we find on down in verse 15, when Saul saw that David behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. And all Israel and Judah loved David. We find on down... A little later, Saul, uh, David was going to marry Saul's daughter. In verse 28, Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And notice verse 29, And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. You see, fear became increasingly the controlling factor of Saul's life. He saw David's popularity. He saw the success of what God was doing through David. And Saul became an increasingly embittered man. Now, Saul took the opportunity to do a variety of things. Let's notice, because we have an opportunity for remarkable insight in terms of David's thought processes. 1 Samuel 19, verse 11. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, said, if you don't save your life tonight, you're going to be dead tomorrow. So she let David down through a window. She took this, made sort of this image in bed and sort of doctored it up and it looked like David was sick in bed. And she told everybody David was sick. It gave opportunity for David to escape. Finally, Saul said, look, I don't care. I don't care how sick he is. You go pick up the bed and bring it in here and put it down in front of me. Well, when they did, of course, we find it was just a dummy in bed. And Saul was mad. What do you think was going on in David's mind at this time when he was forced to escape from Saul? It's interesting, Psalm 59. <coughs> Notice the title. To the chief musician... This is a psalm of David, when Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. So here's what David wrote. Here's what was going on in David's mind when Saul was trying to get him this first time. Verse 1, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from the bloody men. Lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O eternal God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the nations. Be not merciful 
to any wicked transgressors. They return at evening. They make a noise like a dog. They go around about the city. David compared those who were waiting outside the the house to like a, a dog sort of waiting for his prey. David went to God. He looked to God to deliver him. He trusted in God. Why would David allow, or why would God allow such a terrible calamity to come on David? He was forced to flee from his home. You find that there were numerous occasions when David was forced to flee. This is the first. Later on, even in his later life, he was forced to flee before Absalom. On various occasions, God allowed David to be put into a situation where his whole world was turned upside down. But you see, the test was on David. How would he respond? Would he trust God? You see, it's pretty easy to trust God when you're comfortable and well-fed and everything's going your way. Everything is, you know, coming up roses, as the saying is. Well, it's sort of easy to believe God's in charge. When God's on His throne, everything's great. What about when the world turns upside down? What about when everything begins to crash down? You see, that's when we come to develop a relationship with God and to know the real God. To walk hand in hand with God. To deepen that relationship, that faith, that courage, that loyalty. You go through Psalm 59 and God, and David says here, In verse 16, I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and my refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto you, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. God is my defense. See, David learned to trust in God. He was on the run. You can come on forward in in 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21, we'll just pick out a few instances in the life of David prior to the time that he became king. In verse 10, we read of a time when uh, uh, the uh, uh, David arose, uh, for, uh, 1 Samuel 21.10, David arose and fled that night for fear of Saul, and he went to Achish, king of Gath. Now this is in the uh, uh, the event here where Doeg the Edomite had uh, come before Saul and had tipped him off to some things that David had been, uh, where, where David was. If you go back to Psalm 56, let's notice the setting here of Psalm 56. This is a psalm of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. Now here we read that David arose, he fled for the fear of Saul, he went to Achish, king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said, well, isn't this David? You know, he's the most popular fellow in the land. They sing and celebrate him. And David began to realize maybe going to Gath wasn't such a good idea. What was David's response as he found himself here? You know, David was fleeing from Saul. He went to Gath. Now, we're we're told here in Psalm 56, he says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresses me. My enemies would daily swallow me up. 
They be many that fight against me, O you Most High. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in you. See, David had to deal with fears just like you and I do. But as Saul's fears overcame him, dominated him, controlled him, he became obsessed by his fears. David says, what time I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. David deepened his relationship with God, came to trust God. He talked about how he cried out to God, besought God. He said, In verse 10, in God will I praise His word, in the Lord will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I'll not be afraid of what man can do unto me. See, David was on the run. And yet, this is what was going on in his mind. God allowed David to be persecuted. He allowed David to be accused. Saul was accusing David of all sorts of things that weren't so. Saul used that as an excuse to try to chase David. And you know, God allowed it for a period of time. But God was preparing David for a great work. He was preparing David to be used of him in a mighty way. Not simply ruling over Israel for 40 years, and that was a mighty thing. He was preparing David to be king over all of Israel forever. And so God allowed things to occur. David's life didn't go smoothly because God was preparing him for a great job. Coming on down in 1 Samuel 21, here in verse 13, we read David got to Gath and he realized he was in trouble. So 1 Samuel 21, 13 tells us that he changed his behavior before them. He feigned himself mad scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down on his beard. And Achish said to his servants, This guy is mad. Why have you brought him here to me? I don't need a madman. Chase him out. Now, what do you think was going on in David's mind? He realized he was in a mess, tried to use wisdom and do what he could to get out of it. But we find Psalm 34 is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior. You know, from the king who drove him away and he departed. And David said, here's what David was thinking at that time. I'll bless the Lord at all time. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard, he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked upon me and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord camped round about them that fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there's no want to them that fear him. David went through this time of fear and difficulty, but he had a confidence in God. His relationship with God grew deeper because he learned to trust God and to walk with God. He asked God in verse 12, he says, What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off their remembrance from the earth. 
The righteous cries and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near unto all them that are of a broken heart and He saves those that are of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You see, David understood what it was to be delivered by God. He trusted God, had confidence in God, and God delivered him. But you see, David went through these experiences, and he was faced with these difficulties. God was working in his life in a remarkable way, preparing him. We could go on and on. 1 Samuel uh, 23, we'll just notice here. In, uh, um, down in, in uh, where um, uh, we, we could look at, at, uh, uh, at different examples. It talks about the mighty men of David. Uh, these are the, the words of David. In fact, 1 Samuel 23, uh, no, I, I'm in 2 Samuel, no wonder. Uh, 1 Samuel 23, David, uh, well, 1 Samuel 22 tells us David departed and, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down there. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves together to him. You see, David had to flee, trying to escape before from Saul. David knew that God had called him for a job, had called him for a purpose. David had to flee. These events over and over occurred. And yet David trusted God. This is the time when he fled to the cave of Adullam, and yet... You read in the Psalms, in Psalm 52, in Psalm 52, uh, verse 1, this is uh, uh, when, this is the event that, that preceded this, when Doeg the Edomite had came and told Saul that David had, uh, where David was. And, uh, you know, David as he worked through this, understood that God was going to deal with those who were seeking to attack him. You could go on and on. We find that uh, uh, 1 Samuel 24, 1, when Saul returned from following the Philistines, it was told him, say, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En And Saul took 3,000 men went to seek Saul and went to seek David. <clears throat> and we read the story of how Saul was after him. David, over and over, he was pursued. All these, these events, all these things were occurring. Well, you see, Psalm 57 was written, a psalm of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. He said, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. My soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I'll cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. He'll send from heaven and save me from the reproach of them that would swallow me up. David, over and over through these circumstances, learned to trust God, to walk with God to understand many, many things. And so you see, 
As David went through these experiences, he learned many things about what God was looking for in a king. When David came to the end of his life, you read in 2 Samuel 23, 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, The man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke unto me, He that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he'll be as the light of the morning when the sun rises. David learned. He that rules over God, over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. You know, Saul was not a just ruler. Saul did not rule in the fear of God. Saul was obsessed by the fear of man. Saul was obsessed by trying to aggrandize himself. David learned as a result of what he went through. He could see the contrast and understand more clearly what God was after. And as he looked back on his rule, as he looked back on his kingship, he understood what was important. Psalm 72. Notice it is a psalm for Solomon. It is, it's the last advice David had for his son. At the end of his reign, what had David learned from all of the difficulties, all of the adversities? Notice Psalm 72, verse 1, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge your people with righteousness and your poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He'll save the children of the needy and break in pieces the oppressors. You see, David had learned what it was like from firsthand experience to be poor and needy. And as a result of the experiences that he went through, he understood the role of a king. His advice to Solomon, he said, you need to judge the people in righteousness. You need to look after the poor. You need to be concerned about the poor of the people, the children of the needy. Break in pieces the oppressors. You see, David came to understand why God looks upon oppressors as he does because David was oppressed. And God allowed him to go through those circumstances and it deepened in his character a hatred for certain attributes, for certain attitudes, for certain ways of doing things. And you know, God can trust King David to rule over Israel forever, knowing that forever David will never oppress. David will never grind down and take advantage of people. David went through these experiences. He talked about the role of the king in verse 5 of Psalm 72. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish in abundance of peace as long as the moon endures. A righteous king will produce peace. Talks about the abundance of the land. Notice, <coughs> verse 
12, he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also in him that has no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence and precious shall be their blood in their, in his sight. He shall live and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. David told Solomon, he said, you need to have this attitude. This is the heart of a king. This is the role of the king, to help, to spare, to build. David had learned these lessons as a result of what he had gone through. David came to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. And David understood that it, the king who did this, his name shall endure forever. Verse 17. Verse 18, blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This was the final advice at the end of his life that David came to give to Solomon. You see, God trained and taught David as a shepherd, and ultimately through his kingship. But between the time David was a shepherd and the time that he was a king, David went through a lot of ups and downs. He went from being a hero where everybody loved him to being a pariah, to being an outcast, to being accused of everything. Over and over. God allowed some of these calamities to happen. You know, the tendency sometimes of people is to look and say, well... Somebody's got trouble, then obviously, you know, God must not be blessing. Well, I guess you could have looked at King David, and there was about a 10-year period in his life when you say, well, you know, David's certainly not being blessed. Look at all these troubles he's having. Look at the things that Saul and others are accusing him of. But you see, God knew, and David knew, and David walked with God and trusted God, not simply through the good times and the easy times. David walked with God and trusted God through the depths and the shadows and the valleys of life. God was preparing David to be a king. God is preparing us, you, me, to be a part of his kingdom. Brethren, there are times when we may have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There are times that we may have to face difficulty, obstacles, persecution for being faithful to the calling that God has given us. And those persecutions and those difficulties don't only come from without. Sometimes they come from within. David didn't have to simply deal with the Philistines. He had to deal some of his most difficult trials came as a result of those who were a part of the people of Israel, Saul and others. But you see, David walked with God and he trusted God. And God was preparing David because God had a purpose and a plan. And God has a purpose and a plan for us. God Decades ago, back in the 1930s, God raised up a man by the name of Herbert Armstrong to revive the work of God. 
to revive the church of God, to begin a work that would prepare the way for the return of Jesus Christ. God allowed Mr. Armstrong to go through a lot of ups and downs, a lot of trials and tests. But God had a plan and a purpose. A number of years later, seven years after the death of Mr. Armstrong, God raised up a faithful servant whom he had been training and testing for 40 years to continue to revive and to continue the work that he had raised up through Mr. Armstrong back in the 1930s. God has allowed us to be a part of that revived work. There are trials and tests we're going through now, but I'm here to tell you, brethren, they don't even begin to compare to some of the trials and tests we're going to face between now and the return of Jesus Christ. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. God allows us to go through these things that we might come to know Him more fully, more deeply, that we may walk with Him in all our ways and develop within ourselves through the power of His Spirit the faith, the courage, the loyalty that is necessary for the heart of a king, the heart of a king now and forever.